Hello there, my friends. In this episode, whether or not you know my story, I'm going to tell you why I became a warrior and importantly, how you can too. And it's going to just really inspire you because I'm just an average person like you are. Although, wait a minute, I don't think there's anything average about you or me, but you know what I mean? We are everyday people with everyday stories. And I think it's important for us to connect with real people, not people whose stories are so outside of your grasp, something you can't even imagine doing or being. And, you know, sometimes when you look at me, you might even think that you might think, well, I don't know if I could get where she is because I've been through this, but you can, your story might be quite different from mine. But whatever your story is, it is yours. It is real and you have to own it. But you can overcome the grip of fear, the trauma that you've experienced, the grief, all of it. So I'm going to take you through my story, perhaps in a different way than you've heard it before. And I just want you to really just sit and listen to it. And as you do, Kind of think about your own life. Project yourself into certain situations or use some of these perspectives to figure out how you might do the same thing, but also to inspire you, to help you believe. Whatever you have been through, again, no matter how different your story is from mine or how similar, I'm proof that you can get up off of the mat and not just stand, that you can take a step forward and not that you can just take a step forward, that you can keep standing and not even just that, that you can actually fly. So let's start out with reality, right? Reality is that life doesn't always turn out the way we hoped, wished, or dreamed. I'm sure you're shaking your head right now. Do you ever think, I'm not where I thought I would be today? My life hasn't turned out to be anything like I imagined. I couldn't have even imagined going through fill in the blanks what you have. Sometimes it seems like one problem after the next. Well, I hate to tell you, that's life. Life is a series of challenges that we have to overcome. And it's not even that we have to, I should say we get to. Think about that shift in thinking. We get to. That is the way you build courage. We really don't learn much when things are going well. We just don't. That is not when we grow. It is not when we become our best. Our opportunities happen when times are tough, when all hell breaks loose. So let me tell you about when all hell broke loose for me. But then I'm going to kind of weave in some other things because it's interesting how we can have this one thing happen and then we think this is the only thing. This is the big thing in our life. So we forget that we've already had a series of challenges. We've already had things we have overcome. We've had experiences that maybe we've been carrying around that are not helping this current situation. So for me, I was working on my amazing life. I was a divorced single mom when my kids 
Jamie and Sean were one and three. And I actually loved my single mom life. I really did. I didn't, I wasn't sad or anything. I was doing well. I was in a good position. I was working really hard to create a good life for my kids that was safe and, and stable and fun. And, and they would grow up in a home that wasn't like mine. Mine was filled with sadness and fear and trauma and things that I probably should not have experienced, but I did. And it's okay. It's all part of my story. But I wanted my kids to live in a different type of an environment. And so I really did a pretty good job of that. But when I married Rich, when Jamie and Sean were 12 and 10, that was just a whole new level. I thought, oh, wow, now my life's really going to be amazing. Well, that only lasted a couple of years. And really, I talk about all hell breaking loose when my daughter was 18 and the story I'm going to mention here, but really it had happened three years prior when the most gifted person I knew just went off the rails and started doing crazy, you know, dumb things. As I thought back then, this is just, how's the smartest person I know doing such dumb things? I would say to her and making just terrible decisions. And, you know, with this guy, I was sure was in a gang and she told me I was overthinking things and. Jamie was so smart that she would make me think literally that I was going crazy, that it must be me. But obviously it wasn't me. When Jamie got arrested for shoplifting, which devastated me because I'm all about honesty. And I mean, I couldn't even imagine her doing that. She didn't need anything, but she did. And it really devastated me. Of course, later on, I would look back on that and go, man, I wish she was shoplifting but back then, it really, it really struck me. I mean, it hurt me to the core. But things just got way worse from there. And I won't get into all the gory details, but she stopped playing select softball. She quit the high school softball team. She quit youth group. She quit school. Eventually, pretty much all her friends found new so-called friends and almost quit her family. So during this three-year period, from 15 to 18, I was trying to manage it, control it, figure it out, convince, make her. And, you know, if you've ever tried to make a 16, 17, 18-year-old kid do anything, it's not easy. She went to live with her dad for a time because she didn't like my rules. I mean, all the things I never imagined happening, especially when I consider my life was so chaotic growing up. But I never did any of those things. I never had to go live with my dad. Well, he was you know, not that involved anyway, but it was so amazing that I had tried so hard to give her this better life. And then all of this happened, but you know, I would learn a lot of things as life would go on. And so on this sunny August morning, I come from the Seattle area. Um, maybe that's why I'm so compelled to say sunny because it didn't happen that often. But I came into my garage from a breakfast meeting and Rich met me in the garage and he had this look on his face that I will never forget to this day or what he said. He said, he shot her Val. He finally shot her. And of course I knew who he was, the guy that I was sure was, you know, some gang member. And I, my mind was racing, shot with a gun. I mean, we lived in Bellevue, Washington. We didn't live in a place where people shoot people, right? I mean, you think. You think you live in this isolation. You try so hard to build this life and this safety and and the control everything, right? That's the, the fallacy. And that everything was upside down. How can this be? 
It was unbelievable, really. So I'm sitting in the ICU and I'm looking at my daughter and I'm going, how did I get here? What happened to my amazing life? I thought she was going to be the first woman president. I used to say that when she was little. What in the world is going on? How can this be my life? It is not what I wished, hoped, dreamed, planned, strived for, worked hard toward, tried to be a good person to prevent all of this. And there we were. And the, the detectives are talking to me about, you know, GSW, that she had this gunshot wound and, and a gang. Yep. Yep. I was right. He wasn't a gang and that they were trying to arrest him. They needed a SWAT team. I mean, all of this stuff that's on Dateline in 48 hours, right? Not in my life. My head was spinning. My heart was crushed. And the surgeon's telling me that she's lucky to be alive and that the bullet missed this and that by an immeasurable distance. It's truly a miracle. And so there I am watching her with her oxygen. You know, it's being pumped into her lungs and, and waiting. We're just waiting to see if she's going to wake up. She looked kind of swollen, but yet she looked more peaceful than she had probably in the last maybe three years, if not at least the last one or two. So eventually she did wake up. It was interesting too, because the first thing she said to me was, I'm sorry, mommy. Yeah. So we were ended up being moved to this other section. It was actually the trauma recovery section of the hospital where Jamie was registered under a fake name. There was no Jamie listed in the hospital records if you called because of this craziness that was going on. So there we were one night. She had me by her side every minute, and she'd been so distant, but she wanted me in that room 24-7. And she wasn't always that nice because she had 50 staples holding her gut back together from her pubic bone to her breastbone. She'd been filleted open like a fish, and it was painful. Her recovery was painful. So one night we were laying there in the dark, and we neither one of us could sleep, which is crazy. She's on pain meds, and I'm on you know, no sleep. We couldn't sleep and, and we're laying there in the dark and she said something to me she'd never said before and she never did after. She said, Mommy, will you pray with me? And I prayed my brains out. I mean, I was praying like a Baptist preacher and I thought for sure afterwards that everything was going to be okay. She told me all about what had happened the night of the shooting. She was so forthcoming, which by the way, later on she recanted. After she recovered, after 30 days of us sleeping in a room together with the light on because of her fear, one day she just got up, said, I'm going back to my dad's and, and off she went. And what I found out later is she went right down to the DA's office and recanted the testimony that she had given in the hospital, which was the same story she had given me. But in that moment, I didn't know all of that was to come. I just thought everything was going to be okay. Have you ever experienced something like that where you thought everything's going to be okay? And I think that's good. It's good for me to have that hope. But my hope was also crushed because nothing was going to be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. I was going to need to strap down my shoulder harness and buckle up my seatbelt because my ride on the roller coaster from hell was about to get a lot worse. And it did. And again, I won't get into all of this, but over the next decade or so, Jamie's life spun further and further and further out of control. And mine started spiraling into darkness. 
I felt like the biggest failure as a mom, as a wife, as a friend, as a daughter, just as a human being. I'd let God down. He gave me this precious gift, this beautiful girl, this girl that had a list of words she could say at nine months old. Brilliant girl. So much talent and ability. And I'd somehow messed it up. I really thought it was my fault. So I had all this guilt and shame. So let me stop you. Stop me. Stop you. You're not even saying anything. <laughs> let me stop me for a minute. Whatever your story is, again, it could be similar to mine and it could be very different. But have you ever felt like that, like a failure? You're carrying around all this shame and guilt and maybe even stigma because I had that too. What must people think of me if my daughter wound up like that? You see, back in high school, I was a party animal. Now, I did graduate with honors, so I, I, I somehow was able to keep it together but I had a good old time, did all sorts of stuff I shouldn't have done, but I don't have an addictive personality. Well, except for chocolate, but that's a different story. And um, I was able to quit doing, you know, stop smoking pot and whatever other crazy things we tried. I just didn't want to do it anymore. I would stop. So I thought, of course, for sure that this was my fault. I'm somehow being paid back for that. You know, but I didn't understand because when I go back to a reunion, say 10 years later, and I see these people who are still like drinking so much and drugging and all this, and I'm thinking, really? You didn't stop? What's your problem? I had no idea about addiction. I just didn't. And I am not a naive person. I just didn't know. I didn't understand. So, of course, I had a lot of judgment about people like me who raised kids who wound up like this. I, I, I had to fall off my soapbox one day and, you know, had a hematoma on my brain uh, it, I fell hard because I really was a person who stood in judgment. So now I am all these years with the beast. I, I mean, I'm riding this roller coaster from hell painfully up one hill and screaming down the next, just petrified of what's around the next corner. And the only time I didn't feel like I was on the roller coaster was when I was down on the mat and the beast was on top of me. And it was as if he had his nasty claws around my throat and he would whisper in my ear and scream in my face. What a terrible mother I was. What a terrible person. I didn't deserve to get up. What kind of a mother would be happy? Who would go on a vacation? Who would do anything fun or satisfying or joyful while their daughter was out there? And by the way, why can't you stop it? And that is what went on 24-7 until I was literally losing myself. I was a good actress though. And what's funny about that is I'm a very transparent person. What you see is what you get. But I was putting on a good show because I don't like people to feel sorry for me. I don't like to be a burden. That comes from, you know, my traumatic childhood. And um, also FYI, this codependent enabler beast that I lived with, I thought, oh, I became codependent because of Jamie. But when I look back on my childhood, my mom was 17 when she had my brother. By the time she was 20, there were three of us. And our lives, our lives were very chaotic. My mom was very sad, unhappy. She was a child raising children. And she instilled so many great qualities in us. But we went through a lot of stuff, probably, you know, that we shouldn't have. But one of the things was my mom relied on me a lot, even as a young, young girl you know, brush my hair. I have a headache. You know, I had to kind of take care of her in a way emotionally. And so I think I was being set up as codependent way back then. So anyway, there I am 
with this beast and this roller coaster. And it's just going on and on. And so, of course, I'm putting on this show. But I'm really like an actress about ready to have her final curtain call because how long can you keep doing this, right? I'm losing myself. I'm self-destructing under the weight of this beast. And I found myself standing in my kitchen one day and I said, Rich, to Rich, I just blurted it out, out of nowhere. I don't even think we were talking about Jamie. I just said, I don't want to be here anymore. It's too hard. And that look on his face is imprinted on my brain. He was so helpless and so sad. The good thing about those words being on my lips that day and coming into my brain and my heart is that it scared me into action. Have you ever been in a situation where your lowest point turns out to be your your most powerful, one of the most important? You could even be there today, and I'm here to tell you that don't worry about where you are because this could be it. It could be your moment. I thought, really? That's my destiny? That's why God put me on this earth? That all my good days were there, and then there's going to be this period, and then the rest of my life is just no good? No, that can't be it. There has to be a comma in there. So I was tired of being depressed. I was tired of putting on that show. I felt like I wasn't being genuine, which goes against who I am. I felt that, you know, the woman that Rich married should come back. That's not fair to him. And I had become a terrible role model to Sean and to Jamie. I was telling Jamie all the time, battle your beast. You can do this. I know who you are. You can stand up. I mean, I'm telling her all this stuff. And I wasn't even doing that myself. Really, that's what I was doing. I was putting all this burden on her and telling her, you do this, you do that. And I wasn't even taking my own advice. So I had to be honest with myself. Jamie's addiction changed me. No question about it. It hurt hard. It hurt bad. But so did a lot of things in my childhood. The things that I'd look back and thought, eh, no big deal. Happened as a kid. I'm fine. And, and I am fine. But I had to acknowledge that these things have impacted me. And that it was time to work on myself. The only person I have any chance of changing. I literally had to say, I said out loud one day, if you could have changed her, Val, if you could have saved her, you would have done it a long time ago. Give yourself a break. It's not like I didn't try. It's not like I didn't care. It's not like I didn't put the effort in. I didn't pray a bazillion times. So I didn't stop praying and I didn't lose hope, but I started to put the focus on me changing me. I took the burden off of her. And because you know what? My life was slipping away. Think about it. Days, weeks, months, and even years. There's a big difference between living and truly living. So when I was putting on that show, it was really weird. Maybe you can relate to this. Maybe not right this minute, but maybe you've had a period of, of time in your life or even a day where you're with people that you love. You're having even a good time. I can be the life of the party. Well, I usually am. But even when I'm doing that, it's like I'm running this parallel track in my brain and on my heart where it's just sadness. And I feel different from everyone else. And I feel like they're all going on and having these normal lives. Do you see my quotes? Normal lives. And their daughters are doing normal things and moving, progressing in life as it should be. And mine is self-destructing. 
So I made that life-saving decision to stand up and fight. I stopped waiting for God to pluck me off the roller coaster from hell or for it to come to a stop. I stopped waiting for the beast to just get off of me and I knocked him off of me. And, and, and it wasn't a one-time thing. Trust me on this. I clawed my way around in the dark. I had to. I couldn't live this way anymore. And eventually I started to get stronger. I was even happy on occasion. It is a process, my friend. If you're looking for a quick fix, I am not your girl. When we go through trauma, there is no quick fix. And you know what? You might even be going to counseling for trauma or doing something else alongside of, of you know, listening to my podcast or working, becoming a warrior in hope. That's fantastic. Sometimes it really does take a multi-pronged approach. Eventually, I figured out there were these nine things that I was doing consistently that made all the difference. There were perspectives and thought processes and actions and, and ways of thinking and attitudes and even praying differently. And I now call them the nine weapons of hope. But I don't want you to think, as I said a moment ago, that it's like, oh, steps one through nine, check, 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 I'm all good. Major change takes work and probably remaining in a position of strength takes lifelong practice because life's going to keep coming at us. Life is hard. There are many things that scare us. So thank God I did what I did. And I hope you will do the same. I really do. I hope you will join Warriors in Hope. Get in there and use these resources at whatever level makes the most sense for you. Go to warriorsandhope.com. We'll give you access to our app. And it's time for you to disrupt your trauma and start using it for good. To stand up as the courageous warrior that I know you are inside. So 12 years and 12 days after that day in the garage, when I found out Jamie had been shot, it happened again. Only this time it was fatal. There was this woman from the, the coroner's office standing there on my porch telling me that Jamie was gone. And I found out that she'd been murdered. So, I mean, right away, the beast got right back on top of me. Ha, 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 I told you so. What a failure you are. You know, all that hope, you know, those prayers that you prayed, Valerie, every morning for X number of years that Jamie would become clean. And then you even believed God, you fool. That's what he started whispering in my ear. Come this way, Valerie. See what God did for you? It's a middle finger from heaven. That's how it felt. It was tough. But here's what the beast forgot. I had crossed the courage line and I was not going back into the darkness. No way. So with a hole in my heart, I stood up again and I grabbed my nine weapons of hope for my toolbox and I became more determined than ever to use my trauma for good. And I hope you will use yours for good. You don't have to do something like I'm doing. You don't have to be Mother Teresa. I, I, I wasn't saying I'm Mother Teresa. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I just see somebody going, Valerie on her podcast said she was like Mother Teresa. Not even close. I'm hoping when I get to heaven, I'll be able to walk down her street, you know, without being escorted you know, off the property. <laughs> you know? I don't expect that we'll be roommates or anything like that. But you, we don't have to. You don't have to do anything like I'm doing. You don't have to write a book. You don't have to go out and start a, a movement or anything like that. 
You are touching people's lives every moment of every day. One of my nine weapons of hope is about legacy. And when we think of that, we think about property and money, but you are depositing pieces of yourself inside of people right now as we speak. And when these traumas have impacted us the way they have, we probably aren't placing the right pieces of ourselves in other people. So whether you get the worst news possible or you're dealing with everyday issues, you can find the inner strength to become a warrior, to disrupt that trauma and start using it for good. And that's why I created this Warriors and Hope membership. It's a place where women learn to build confidence, courage, and find hope. It is where we not only disrupt that trauma, we find our inner strength, that warrior within. We have to stop allowing fear to write our stories. Because let's face it, that's what happens all the time. Fear takes over. We've got to climb out of the muck and mire and the shame and the guilt and stigma and use that adversity. Do you know that adversity is actually here to serve you? It is your superpower. It is not your kryptonite. It is not the thing that is going to take you down. Not if you fight it. It is your superpower. I'm using my superpower even now. So my daughter was murdered more than seven years ago, and we have only had a preliminary hearing for the guy that killed her. There's all sorts of shenanigans that's being that are being played out in the legal system that's, I mean, moving slower than a slug's pace and, or a snail's pace. Isn't it a snail? Well, isn't a slug inside of a snail? Anyway, you get my point. And it's frustrating. And it's it we, we realize it's lifelong now, right? It's lifelong. Even if this guy gets convicted, there's appeals and that process goes on for years and you have to keep going. And if he gets up for parole, if I live long enough, all of this, he could get off. Who knows? You know, you just don't know. So I keep using all of these resources to not only just, oh my gosh, I got to keep where I am. I've got to, you know, at least stay here. Life is always in constant motion. We move forwards or backwards. So I'm using every tool I can to move forward, to even use this experience we are having now with the legal system to make myself stronger. So that's what happens with you, my friend. Either your adversity, your challenges, they either destroy you or they make you better. They make you stronger. I mean, my family could have been destroyed through all of this. My marriage, my marriage is stronger than ever. My relationship with Sean could not be better than it is now. Sean is my son. And I'm doing everything I can to make a difference in the world before the good Lord pulls the plug on my life. So again, your story might be quite different from mine, but we can still stand together. We can link arms. We can become that warrior tribe. Because trauma is trauma and pain is pain, but so is recovery and hope. I learned how to stand. And I, in fact, my first book is called Still Standing After All the Tears. But now I've learned how to fly. And, and I keep flying and I keep soaring and I keep standing and moving forward. Because it's the best way to honor Jamie. My son deserves me to continue being a good role model for him. Because my marriage is stronger than ever, as I mentioned and because I have the honor of linking arms 
with someone like you. So whether you get that knock on the door with the worst news ever or you're dealing with everyday issues, Warriors and Hope is the place for you. Go to warriorsandhope.com. Join me. I truly believe that anyone should and can overcome anything that's holding them back from being their best. The world needs warriors who are shining examples of courage and hope. And I believe that one of them is you.